Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. You can find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. singing the songs that we sing around here because they speak such powerful truth about the God that we serve, the people that we are, and the world in which we live. And I don't know about you, but in case you were not paying attention to the words you were singing today, um, that's some good stuff. And one of the reasons why pastors are struggling so much today is because we are trying to figure out how do we continue being the church in a world, in a day, in which it's becoming easier and easier not to gather together in person. Disclaimer, and this is all free. This isn't even the message. Um, we understand that there are those of you, and for all those of you who are watching online, hello, we are here. Everyone say hello. One, two, three. Hello. All right, everyone, hello. Um, we are so glad that you're with us, whether you are here in Murfreesboro or whether you are somewhere else um, around the world. Welcome to real life. We understand that some of us, and that they're not here right now for some very legitimate reasons, some very legitimate health concerns. We honor that and we respect that. But we also recognize that in our day and age, it's becoming increasingly easy to not show up. We can roll out of bed. We can um, be preoccupied. We're on our way somewhere. We, we, it's becoming easier and easier, in part because as a church, we recognize we want to be accessible. We want people to, to be able to, to chime in. Our greatest concern as pastors is that we are losing the connection that is the church. There is something extremely important about walking into a room, seeing people that you see week in and week out, rubbing shoulders with each other on occasion. Um, <laughs> not too close, right? Um, but we recognize the church has always been the gathered people of God. And we are thankful that in our day and age, technology allows us to gather more broadly but, it all, but technology also lets us gather less specifically, which isn't necessarily a good thing. So um, it's important to gather together, to sing together, to hear scripture read together, to read scripture together, to gather around a table and receive communion together. Um, even in the midst of, of health concerns, the people of God have always gathered together. And if we lose that, we are just another civic organization. So for all of us, whether you're here in the room today or you're online today, I want us all to really be thinking about what does it mean to gather together as the people of God? 
And I also want us to remember this, that when we gather, we are also gathering with room for those who don't necessarily see themselves as the people of God. I love that real life is a place where you can bring everything that you are here and we will love you. We will embrace you. We will journey with you. The song said, you know, we leave our shame at the door. Um, I think that that's a good word for us today. There's something about the people gathered together. So think through that one. And I'd be willing to think through that with you as well. So grab your Bibles. Um, Mark chapter 14. We are closing in on the end of Mark, folks. Um, there's only just two more chapters after this, and then we're going to wrap things up. But uh, we're going to be in a passage of Scripture in Luke four, or Mark 14, uh, beginning in verse 43. And as we read the Scripture today, uh, it's going to be on the screens. Uh, it's in your Bible in front of you. It's on your phone. It's on your iPad. Um, it's on your scroll if you brought that today. Um, however you are reading Scripture, read Scripture a lot. Hang out with it. Get stuck in it. Uh, but this morning, I want us to read Mark chapter 14, verses 43 through 52. And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. Now, just a side note here. It says, and immediately, even as Jesus said this, said what? That's referring to what was just said. So try not to read scripture as like, I'm just going to pull this piece out as though it's not connected to anything else. Remember that this is one story. This is one word. And so we need to read it in context. That's a freebie. Um, They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders— the traitor Judas had, been, had given them a prearranged sign. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Really? I have a lot of problem with this passage of scripture. You really think that no one knew who Jesus was and that Judas had to kiss Jesus in order for they, them to know? That's crazy. Jesus had been walking among them, hanging out in the temples. People knew who Jesus was. He was like the hot topic. Pick that person in our society today that is the hot topic. Whoever you want that to be, that's fine. Um, it's, maybe it's different for every one of you, but you know what I'm talking about. People know who the hot topic is. And this is, this is what the day was. Jesus was that person. Well, not that person. But he's, he's that figure. <laughs> oh, my. Um, you will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus, doesn't say who, uh, one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword, which is weird to me, that the followers of Jesus would have a sword with him in which he would do harm. That's a whole other message. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Whew. 
This is getting weird. Gia. <laughs> it's so good to have my aunt and uncle here with us today. Um, this is uh, Uncle Ed and Aunt Mariana. They are from Indiana, uh, newly retired ministers, and it is just so good. Um, he reminded us that it was going to be very hard for this man now to wear a mask. Yes, it is. Oh, my. Um, then Jesus asked them, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day. But these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. Then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. <laughs> Not some of them, all of them. Talk about betrayal and just being left alone. I mean, maybe you understand what that feels like when you feel like everyone has dropped you. Then all of the disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man, here's another weird part of this passage of scripture. One young man following behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. This is, this is the word of God. For the people of God and the world. <laughs> and we all say, <laughs> you say it. Thanks be to God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is so weird. Oh, my, 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 my. Let me catch my breath. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what Jesus was feeling? In that moment, when he saw the crowd coming towards him, he saw this one who had followed him for a long period of time, a friend of his, this one whom just a little, a few verses earlier had gotten down and, and um, served him. Judas was coming, and, and I, I'm guessing Jesus could see it in his eyes that he was about to betray him. Can you imagine what Jesus was feeling in that moment? At the, at the heart of what I would have been feeling that day was betrayal. Why would someone that I had given so much to, that I invested so much of my life into, why would he be doing something like this? I would have wanted justice in the midst of injustice. I would have cried, not fair, foul. How can, it not? this is not right. I would have been offended and hurt and, and I, I think I would have been downright mad. I, I know I would have been because I have been mad when people have betrayed me, have treated me wrong. I might have even thought there is no way I am forgiving this guy for this one. But I'm not sure that that's where Jesus was, at his heart or in his mind. The way Jesus had lived the past 33 years or so of his life had prepared him for this day, this moment, this 
monumental event that would affect not only his life that day, but all of humanity for the rest of history. The way we understand the purpose or goal of life determines a lot about how we live this life. Where you think you're headed determines how you're going to get there. The way you think the end is going to take place will determine how you live today. Jesus didn't just grin and bear his betrayal in that moment. He didn't just overlook it, pushing it to the side. He embraced it. He embraced the betrayal because he knew that the way forward went through a cross and a tomb. His heart, the heart of Jesus, was tuned into the heart of God because it was the heart of God. In this, we find the truth of the life that God calls each and every one of us to live. Our heart and the heart of God becoming one. It's not about us being side um, observers. It's not about us being just casual observers. It's about our heart and the heart of God becoming intertwined and becoming one. I, I, I put my fingers together to try and illustrate this. But this does not quite get it because I can still tell where my heart and, and the heart of God is. But what God has in store for us is the kind of blending of our hearts to where the two become indistinguishable. They become one. Not because of our own efforts, but because our lives have been shaped by the heart of God. Jesus is not the only one to share the heart of God. A story is, is told of a, a man by the name of Maximilian Kolb, a Polish Catholic priest who was seen to, his, uh, to the Auschwitz death camp with his people. One day, one of his fellow prisoners was being threatened with death for attempting to escape. The man began to weep. He had a wife and he had a child that he was concerned for. And Kolb, this Roman Catholic priest, stepped forward and offered himself in the man's place. He went to his death calmly, intentionally, with purpose, because he had been formed and shaped in such a way that made that a possibility. His punishment was intended to be death uh, by starvation. But when Kolb was still alive after two weeks, he was killed by lethal injection. The point is this. He wasn't acting spontaneously or out of obligation to a rule. He was doing something that came naturally as the climax of a life spent giving himself away. Jesus is not the only one to have ever shared the heart of God. Maximilian Kolb is right there with him. But I wonder about you. Can you today testify that you, your heart and the heart of God have been blended together? Can you today say, I would be willing to step forward, and I venture to say none of us would say, I'd be willing to do that until we are in that situation. I don't think Alex, Maximilian ever thought uh, in his office before the war that he was going to put in, in place a, a course of events that would land him in Auschwitz, 
and would it land him in a position to do this. But I think the way that he lived his life and the way in which he allowed his heart to become blended with the heart of God was exactly what allowed him to do this when this was needed. The way of Jesus seen throughout his life and especially in this garden scene is a way driven by a vision of the life God created for humanity but messed up by sin. It is the habits of our life that transform us into the people who don't have to think about following the way of Jesus. It becomes natural. Being formed day in and day out through the habits of the kingdom transform us into being those who respond to unbelievably difficult ways, um, mildly difficult ways, mild, I mean, insignificant ways in kingdom ways. What are these habits of the kingdom of which we speak? There's a lot of them. Anything that puts you into a place where you are receptive to what God wants to do in your life, anything that allows you to be in that place where you can hear the voice of God amidst the clutter and the din of life, anything that causes you to be uh, submitted before God is a great kingdom way. But, but I want to share just a few of them. One, gathering routinely in community with the people of God in a way that, allow, that always makes room for those who, aren't, who, who are considered possibly outsiders. We, we most often call this worship, but it also looks like other things, like city groups. Spending time being shaped by the word of God together with others is essentially important in our life. And it's amazing how many times I find people say, well, I just don't feel connected to God. Um, when was the last time you were in church? Well, I just, I, I watch online. Well, that's great, but when are, when are you actually in church with people? Well, I just, I just don't think it's that necessary. Maybe that's why you're feeling the way you are. You know, if I were to, I'm not going to, but if I were to chop my finger off, it'd be a mess. That finger would die unless it was reattached. There's something about being attached to the body that is important. And I cannot, this is where I make my shameless plug for uh, city groups. Uh, real life, I want us to be that people who are hungry to be a part of the kind of groups that allow us to be formed and shaped around the truth of God, the truth of his word. I, I want us to be able to gather together. And there are so many different venues and ways to do this at different times. There has got to be one in here that you can find to fit your schedule and your, your, your needs. But can I just say this? Sometimes you need to rearrange your schedule because you need to take the steps necessary to connect with the heart of God. I think another one of the kingdom ways in which we are formed and shaped is gathering around the table to share in the gifts of grace from God that nourish us in our faith. We often call this communion or Eucharist. I, I, I know for a fact that Maximilian Kolb would have gathered daily around the table to receive the Eucharist. And at that table, he would be reminded that ours was a God who was willing to sacrifice himself for the sake of others. And so when it came 
to another moment in which he was challenged to give his life, he knew that that's what the people of God do. I don't think that Maximilian Kolb had to uh, decide, okay, am I really going to do this or not? I think Maximilian Kolb, without thinking a second thought, stepped forward and said, I'll take it. I'll take it. Because he had been formed and shaped that way. These um, communicating with God through prayer is another highly important practice. Now, I, I want us to think of prayer much more broadly than we often do. Um, there are some of you who love to pray through journaling. There are others of you who love to get on your knees by your bedside and pray through a list. There are others who like to pray in your car. Um, there are others of you who like to pray in all sorts of different ways. And I want to say this, I give you permission. However it is you want to pray, however you want to communicate with God, do it. And don't let anyone say you can't pray that way. My senior year of high school is one of, for me, one of my most important years in my faith. I was able to develop a prayer life that year that was life-giving to me. Um, I went off to school, and I remember gathering with a group of students to pray one night. And I prayed the way I prayed the last year, and the way I had connected with God in so many ways. And someone said to me, "You, you can't pray that way. And I was stupid enough to think, well, what if he's right? I'd forgotten about all of the communion that I had with God in my prayer time. And I should have said, um, you're an idiot. Well, I shouldn't have said that. Um, I said, no, I should have said, no, I, I can pray this way. Because God, all, God is concerned not about how we pray, but that we pray. And so as the people of God, we need to, 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 to um, foster foster these habits, which is really interesting because one of the groups is Celebration of Disciplines, which is written by Richard Foster, a man who knows how to foster the disciplines in our life. So if you're at a loss for these habits and rhythms of life, I would, venture, I would, I would highly encourage you to sign up for Pastor Cole's, Pastor Matthew's class on Celebration of Disciplines. These are probably some of the more significant of the habits of the kingdom that have the power to shape us as we anticipate the eternal life that we are headed towards. There's a question that Jesus asks in here in which he asks, you know, am I really a dangerous revolutionary that, well, the arrest did not happen in the temple because the religious leaders knew that if they did it in the temple, they would have had a riot on their hands. Jesus, while he was not one of these guys who was encouraging the guy who pulled out his sword to lop off the ear, so the guy, never mind. He was a, although he was not that guy, I think Jesus was every bit dangerous and every bit of revolutionary. Because what he did, what he said, what he ushered into existence was one of the most dangerous kind of lives you could ever, ever live. It turns everything upside down. It is revolutionary to the core. And what, and what I mean there is this. What Jesus changes above everything else is what's happening deep in the core of your being, in your heart. Jesus 
Do you recognize the fact that a life of surrender to and communion with Jesus is a life that is very revolutionary? It is not subtle. It is not meek. It is not boring, nor does it demand your leftovers. It demands the first of your life. A life of surrender to and communion with Jesus costs us everything, but also brings with it the promise and fulfillment of everything. While Jesus is not calling us to armed conflict in the streets, what we are, all, what we are called to will change everything up and down every street in every corner of this world. If you think that I was just making an allusion to something, you are correct. What Jesus is calling us to makes a difference in Kenosha, Wisconsin. In Minneapolis, Minnesota. In Brunswick, Georgia. And the list goes on. You name every city, including ours. What Jesus is calling us to makes a difference in the streets. But one of my greatest concerns about what we are seeing in our world today is that we have divorced the change we're looking for from the God who is able to offer it. And I wonder, I just wonder, and I don't know how to do this. This is where it gets really messy. What does it look like let me, re- re- let me reiterate what I just said. This is, I don't know what this looks like or how this gets done, but I think we need to think through this one. What does it look like for the church to gather in the streets to be the body of Christ? For those who are looking for life to be put back together. What Jesus calls each of us to is not easy, nor is it convenient. It is not a life that we can get to uh, if we aren't feeling too tired or, or don't have anything else on the agenda. What might be the biggest concern of pastors right now, again, is, is how, how we continue being the body of Christ together in the midst of the most difficult issues of our day. What would life be like for you and I today if Jesus had chosen the convenient option rather than the one that cost him his life? The life we are called to live requires you make some very significant statements in your life, both personally as well as out in the open. I really wonder what our streets would look like today if what was happening among the people of God was doing more spilling out into the streets. Again, I do not want to belittle the passion of those we are seeing protesting in the streets. Whether it's in our own country or a country very close to my heart in Hong Kong. I do not want to belittle the passion and the hunger, the desperation in the people there all around the world. But here's a statement about the answer that everyone is looking for. 
The way of Jesus is the answer to the most passionate of our longings. In our society, including matters of race and sexuality and immigration and equality and such, the way of Jesus brings us to the place where we realize that what is behind all of the unrest in the world is the very same thing. It is the brokenness of humanity caused by sin. Sin is no little thing. Sin is the very thing unraveling society, our homes, our schools, our workplaces, our relationships, and our very soul. That sin is working to affect the choices you and I make at every moment of every day. And God is not content to let that continue. Through Jesus, God has begun a revolution to set all things right. This revolution should be changing our lives, our homes, our workplaces, and our neighborhoods. And if it is not, I think we have some serious conversations we need to have with God and with ourselves. Are you letting what God is doing in your heart seep out and follow you wherever you end up? I got to talk about the naked man. Can't, can't close this up without dealing with the guy. Um, there are times when we gloss over difficult and odd passages of Scripture, like this one, because we, don't, we just don't know what to do with them. I mean, we scratch our heads and we say, what in the world? Let me say one thing about what may be the oddest character in this story, the naked man. Here's this guy dressed in a linen shirt who is grabbed by the mob who is able to somehow wiggle himself out of his clothing and runs off naked. Who is this guy? And what is his part in this story? Um, there actually is amazing uh, debate about who this guy is uh, and why the author of this passage would include this guy. There are all sorts of opinions about who this was and why he's important to the story of God. Some think this guy is actually the same one who shows up in the empty tomb in chapter 16, clothed in a white robe, referred to as an angel in that passage. Some actually don't buy that it was an angel of celestial orientation, but it was a, it, it was a young man who had been transformed from his nakedness to his being clothed in righteousness. Now, there's people who argue that point, and that's fine, but I, I kind of like it. I like it because it says to us that whatever Jesus does is able to take us from our brokenness and our nakedness and is able to do something to transform us. Not just to put nice clothes on, but to transform us in such a way that we become the very first person recorded as proclaiming the resurrection. Gee, what Jesus wants to do in your life can get you to the place where you are smack dab in the middle of sharing with the whole world. He is risen. He is no longer here. I think that the naked man shows up in Mark chapter 14 to set the stage for Mark chapter 16 and everything that happens in 15. There are some who actually believe 
that this naked man is the author of this gospel. And if that is so, he has written into this gospel a testimony of how God transforms us in the midst of our brokenness and our nakedness. When the power of the resurrection gets a hold of us, we become the very first to proclaim the good news. So what does this mean for real life? Well, it means that we are going to be a people of hope. If we are nothing else, we're going to be a people of hope. We are going to be a people who stick with Jesus rather than running to something that makes sense to us. We're going to stick with Jesus. We are going to be a people driven by the vision of Jesus that our nakedness and our brokenness can be transformed into wholeness. Which means we are going to have a huge, wide open door for people who are living real life and it stinks. I can't wait till we can have more room in here for more people who need Jesus. So I leave this in your court. Who do you identify with? The naked man or the quote-unquote angel in the tomb in chapter 16? Which one do you identify with? Hey, you might say, well, Pastor Jeremy, I've kind of identified with both at different points in my life. That's awesome. Who do you identify with now? Because Jesus wants to transform you. I, I want to leave you with a thought. And it's this. Betrayal and all of its ugly associates do not have to be the foundation for your continued brokenness. They can become the occasion for God's greatest work. But we have to be willing to let go of all those things that we have been holding on to so tightly that are becoming cancers in our lives. And we need to let God do what only God can do. Church, stand with me. I am thankful that God is passionate about people, period not just cleaned up people. Let's pray. God, this morning you have spoken your word into our hearts and it's an odd word, it's a crazy word, but it's a word that wants to bear fruit in us and God, I pray that you would do that. Dear Jesus, I pray that we would till the soil up and we would make room, we would place ourselves in places where you can get to us without having to fight through all of the junk to get to us. God, I'm so thankful you're a God who will do that. But God, I just pray that we would be a people who would stop running, throwing up walls and barriers and things. God, I pray that today your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and convict us of the things that need to be changed in us. For God, I don't want to be the naked man running. I want to be the man testifying of what a resurrection can do in my life. So God, this morning I pray for all of us. We all pray, God, find us 
at the moment of our deepest need. And God, don't let us remain there. Lord, I'm thankful that even though all of your disciples, and, and I think they represent us, have run away from you at times in our lives, you're still willing to go to a cross for us. So Jesus, I pray that the revolution that you started when you crawled up on that cross be the revolution that continues in us. And may the stones that hide our darkness and our brokenness, may they be rolled away to reveal a transformed life. So Lord Jesus, hear our prayers this morning. And I pray that as you walk with us from this place that you would not allow us to go back to our old patterns of life, but that we would be a people who seek out the new rhythms of the kingdom. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. Church, may the God who was betrayed be the God who sparks in you a revolution that leaves you utterly changed and transformed and testifying to a whole world that what they're looking for became flesh and blood and lives among them today. Until we meet again, church, and be a blessing.